Matthew chapter 26 this evening. Matthew 26. It's uh, holiday season and people are out and about and such and, and malls and uh, different things. And uh, I, I'm a people watcher. I like to observe people, see where they're at, what they're doing. And uh, just kind of interesting. And sorry, scenario of a mother and probably a two-and-a-half-year-old, a a three-year-old child who was determined to go one way when the mother had to go the other. She's like, we're going this way. The child's no, arguing, throwing a tantrum. And what really caught my attention is that this child went back to hit the mother. Like, she's like... She didn't. But watching that, I was watching the mother just trying to uh, alleviate the behavior at the moment. No, no, no. Reasoning with the child. How do you reason with a two-year-old? But anyway, right? It was a battle of the wills that was going on. And when I saw that, I thought about that and God's children. That would be us. How God wants us to go one way. And we... Like a spoiled little child. There is going to come a time. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. There's going to come a time where your will and God's will are going to clash. And you are going to have to learn to submit to God's will or you are going to fight him and become a very miserable person. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. A lesson we can take. Jesus. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here a while while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became in anguish and distress. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went a little further and he bowed down his face to the ground praying, My father, if it is possible to let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want to do your will, uh, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Could you not watch even, uh, watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not be given into temptation, for your spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he returned to them and he found them asleep, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. And then he came to his disciples. He said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. 
But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let us be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, appeared with the crowd of men armed with swords and clubs, for they had been sent by the leading priest and the elders of the people. I want to talk to you firstly about the mistake of simply behavior. This is a common mistake that, that parents make and this mother was making. If I could just get this child to behave for the moment, we'll be doing well. If I can just uh, get and arrange their behavior to be okay. Now, most of us can act proper in a certain way for a certain time in life. We've all been in awkward situations where you just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it and and you feel like you're not supposed to be there my wife and I when we were in Lithuania we uh we had there was the the embassy would change out personnel every 2 to 3 years would totally change over but there was one time where we had just actually made some friends and uh, lunch dates and dinner dates with people I think it was mostly because our kids were babysitting age But they had gotten friendly with us, and it was just a certain time in the embassy. And we were invited to the ambassador's house for the 4th of July um, um, celebration at, at the American ambassador's house. And so we went there not knowing what to do, you know, what this was going to be like. We go through the metal detector. Well, everyone we had kind of befriended was working that day. There were members from the Lithuanian parliament there. There were other ambassadors, the German ambassador, the French ambassador was there, the UK ambassador. I even think the Russian ambassador was going to make an appearance and they were all there. So everybody's working and networking and all that. And Carrie and I are just standing in the corner like, we don't belong here. Just eating our little corn thing and just going, you know what, we're going to leave because this is just not our realm. It was an awkward thing, but we could behave and watch this. But while we were there, one of the computer guys who worked for the embassy brought his new girlfriend. And she was dressed like very badly, I'll just say that. He, he almost lost his job over it because she didn't know how to behave at that place. Behavior, we mostly can understand. Carrie and I are like, we, we can function here, but they, they didn't understand. Most of us understand how to behave in certain ways. There's certain protocols, certain things like that. That's fine. But when it just becomes behavior driven in your Christianity, it's not enough. Because you probably learn on your route to work or to church or wherever you go commonly, where the police might be setting up a speed trap. So it's at that point, you slow down. Doesn't really change how you drive, but you learn how to behave at that point. You ever work with someone who behaves very different when the boss is around? And if you haven't, maybe it's you. But anyway, if you don't know that person, then maybe it's just you. But anyway, right? The reality of 
just, there's some people, they turn it on. I remember, I worked at one company where the, the man who I worked for, who was my direct boss, had such an influence over the company that his, his peers, people he didn't really have any charge over, one day he missed work and they're just slouching out. It's like, there's people who know how to behave. But the problem with behavior, it's not character. It's not character. Behavior is just for the moment. This is why people can be very religious on Sunday and sin like the devil on Monday. Because they can behave for a certain time. Jesus said, Luke 7, 31 and 32, To what can I compare this people to of this generation? Jesus asked, how do I describe them? They're like children playing a game in the public square, and they complain to their friends, we played the wedding song, and you did not dance, so we played the funeral song, and you did not weep. Now, it's very interesting that, you know, funerals and weddings, we could relate to church. I know they always don't take place in church, but a lot of them do. And he says, you, we played the church game. And you didn't play with us. What's the matter with you? Because some people, they know how to perform in church. But it doesn't really mean their character is right. See, behavior, if that's how you measure your service to God, then you have missed the will of God what that really means. Because if you think if I do A, B, and C, and don't do X, Y, and Z, I must be doing good. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rob any banks. I didn't sell any drugs today. I must be doing good. I came to church. I said a quick prayer before my meal this afternoon. Right? We can click boxes and think, well, that means we're good. It also brings wrong expectations. There was a man who wrote a book, Why I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He has now become a backslidden, post-evangelistical kind of guy. Josh Harris is his name. And what he wrote basically was, if I do dating this way, God owes me. God owes me. If I click some boxes, God owes me. I should deserve what I want. It's trying to manipulate God because of behavior. This is how people function. Matthew 7, 22 and 23, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's very interesting here. They use the, the, the plural, we. I've had people in churches we. I remember meeting 
Uh, we had a, a number of babies when I was born in, when I was in pastoring in Chicopee, we had a number of babies born right, like boom, boom, bang, bang, boom. Just kind of like it got loose here. And uh, it, they were getting closer and closer. It was like, literally, there were, uh, my son and a girl were born three days apart. The next two babies were born a day apart. The next two babies were born on the same day. And I went to the hospital for one of them, and I met all these people who were telling me, I go to Victory Chapel. Victory Chapel's my church. I'm like, I've never seen you before. Never. I mean, literally never seen you before. They're like, no, man, that's my church. It's like, wow. Say the right thing. We must be okay. We. I've had non-tithers tell, us, tell me what a great job we do in supporting or giving. I've had non-outreachers tell me what a great job we do outreaching. We? We? You won't come to an event, but we? When's the last time you passed out a flyer? We? We? And that's what they do. As long as I'm around, say the right things, do a couple of things that make me look good, I can do it. You know, it's Isaiah 58 that God asks about the fast. They're fasting. And he says, what's your motive behind your fasting? Fasting's a good thing. We're going to fast here in a couple, five, six weeks. Right? I know that's shocking to some of you that we're going to fast before the Prescott Bible Conference with the rest of the fellowship. I know you've never heard that before, but it's coming up. Right? It's like, that shouldn't be. And yet, he asks them, why are you doing the right thing with the wrong motives? Doing the right behavior, but it's not affecting your heart or your will. In 2003, at the Mirage in Las Vegas, Roy Horn was bitten on the neck by a seven-year-old tiger named Montecroy. Montecrow. Members of the crew separated Horn and the tiger and rushed him into a level one trauma unit in Nevada University Medical Center. Horn was critically injured and had sustained severe blood loss. While being taken to the horse, while being taken to the hospital, Horn, according to sources, said, "Don't shoot the cat." Montecrow had been trained by Horn since he was a cub. He had performed acts for over six years. Fischerbacher, appearing on the Larry King Show interview program, said that Horn felt that he was acting and Monroe was attempting to drag him to safety as a mother tiger would pull one of her cubs away by the neck. They went on to explain that because the tiger didn't shake him, they thought, well, this is good. No. You play with tigers, you're going to get attacked. You can make them behave, but you can't change their nature. That's the issue that people who perform think that it's all about. As long as I perform, man, I've done my duty, I've performed. 
but are you submitted to God's will? This is what our text is dealing with. See, the hypocrite literally is one who would play act. That's where the term comes from. It was an acting term. It actually, before Jesus' day, wasn't a bad term. It's an actor, someone who just simply can play the part for the time. Jesus is in the greatest battle for our souls, but also for his submission to God's will. In the garden, the, I, I know there was the time of temptation in the 40 days in the wilderness and all of that, but this seems to be, he tells us his soul is in great agony. One of the translations says that he was sweating as it were great drops of blood. Now, there's something called a blood sweat. This is when people have reached a point of just tremendous stress and anxiety. The times I've read about it mostly actually were due to boot camp. Where now the battle isn't. Can I overcome this temptation or that? It's will I surrender my will to God's plan? And this is the struggle that we all will face. If Jesus faced this, you will face it. Psalms 143 verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. My gracious spirit, uh, for your gracious spirit leads me forward. On to firm footing. See, performance doesn't mean you have to surrender your will. Some people, they bide their time. Some people know how to act in just at certain times. But the outward is never enough. It's the heart. God wants your heart. And in that, there are going to be times where your will and his will are going to collide and that performance for a time is never going to be sufficient. Because one will will win. The worst thing this mother could have done with this little girl is let her win. Now I understand, every parent understands, you got to pick your battles. I have, I'm well aware of that. But it was Prince Charles who said many years ago, what impresses me the most is how the children teach the parents how to behave. Somebody's will has to win. Galatians tells us, so let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, just as the opposite the spirit of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit's desires are opposite of what our sinful de- nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. 
says there's a struggle. It's in each one of us. The will of God. Sometimes that's simply, do I sin or do I not? That's kind of an obvious one. But there's going to be times where God is going to put a finger on an area, an attitude, a decision you want to make that he says, no, don't do that. He said, well, I'm doing this and I'm praying and I'm giving and I'm going and I'm, you know, I'm not selling dry and I'm, you know, check all the boxes. But God is after your heart and your will. You miss God by a million miles doing all the box checking you want. John 17, 7, 17, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teachings are from God or merely my own. It's very interesting that people who fight the will of God come up with strange doctrines. They'll come up with a doctrine. Pastor Joe Campbell said, you will create doctrines to justify your actions so that you can live with your conscience. See, your decisions affect your spirit just as much as your spirit affects your decisions. You start making a series of bad decisions, you can see people, literally the term is, they get kinked. I played guitar for a long time, and when you restring a guitar, the, the issue is you can't kink a string. Can't put a bend in it. It's got to stay smooth. As soon as you put a little kink in it, that's where it's going to break. It's the weak point. You mark it down. It's going to break. James 4, 13 through 16. Look here, you who say, today and tomorrow we are going to, uh, to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like on tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog, here for a little while and it's gone. When you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to do, we will, do, uh, we will live and we will do that, this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting on your own pretentious plans. Such boasting is evil. We've got plans. Yeah, but is it what God wants you to do? Yeah, but there's profit. Yeah, but it's what God wants you to do. When I was in Lithuania, jobs were hard to get. And one of the jobs that uh, opened to one of the young men, who was an excellent guy, who was the main translator the first couple of times I went and, and, and preached. They're just an excellent young kid. Vitotus, no. Vitus, that's Vitus. Great kid, took a job. This job was going to take him out of church. He began to work there and he began to miss services. Eventually he got a girlfriend, fornicate. It just became a total disaster. He actually came to have lunch with me as I was leaving Lithuania and he just telling me stories and how much he regretted it but he knew that he had made bad decisions and he told me I justified because I said I wouldn't do this or I could make more and pay my tithe or this or that but he had stepped out of the will of God 
You make bad decisions. Your desires, your sins. There'll be no sacrifice. There'll be no desire for the things of God. Because your decision determines your destiny. Jesus is struggling here. He's praying. He's struggling. He knows what's ahead for him. Now, thank God we don't have to face that kind of torture and what he went through. But there is always the time where our will is going to not want to do what God wants us to do. Hebrews 10.36, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive the promise. See, Jesus, he goes there to pray. He takes a couple of the closest disciples to him, Peter, James, and John, and he says, I need you to pray. He goes, prays, Judas shows up. So that tells us that number one on how to surrender your will is you got to pray. Pastor Paul Campbell has a sign on his office door that simply says, have you prayed about it yet? There's people, they, they want to do things. Pastor Campbell was talking about one couple that came to him. They're making... You know, they're, they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They're not making a lot of money, and he wants to buy a sports car. Right? I want to buy this sports car. And he's like, but you can't afford it. Yeah, but I want to do it. Have you prayed about it? Well, you know, it's what I want. He says they did, and it got repossessed within a couple of months. See, without prayer, we make bad decisions. make bad decisions. Prayer really can help us maneuver through all the pitfalls and minefields of life. That's why when he returned to his disciples in our text, he found them asleep and he said, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Keep watching, pray so that you will not be given into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Prayer is so important to keep us in the will of God. The battle of the flesh and the spirit, your will versus God's will. Prayer will align you with God. Prayer in his word. Prayer and what does God say about it? Isn't it interesting that in when he the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this, our Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will. Before, give us this day, before I give or pray, binding the devil, whatever it is, your will be done. Praying for God's will is easy when there's no cross right in front of you. 
I knew it was the will of God that I'd marry Carrie some 37 years ago. And I was like, that, yeah, that lines up with my desires. <laughs> You're a pretty girl. Anyway, right, I, you know, I was, I was into that. That was, that was fine. But when there's hard roads, decisions, things that may cost may be difficult. Maybe you have to keep your mouth shut. Do you pray for God's will then when there's a cross in front of you? Jesus is responding no matter what the cost or the difficulty. This is going to cost him everything. Most of the situations I've had to face have either cost me a little bit of time Pride, money, or humility. Not exactly blood in my life. But it's amazing the change that happens in the prayer. In verse 38 and 39, he says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He prays, Father, my Father, if it's possible for this cup of suffering to be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. When we're faced with soul-crushing issues, decisions, things that we know God wants us to do, but we think, oh, it'll be so much easier if I do it another way. Consider what would be lost if Jesus had chosen his own will. Like everyone, there would have been no access to heaven for us. See, when God's will in the cross, something has to die. 1 Peter 3.17, remember it is better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. You know, there's something about when we do wrong and we have to pay. It's like, ah, you know, I made a mistake recently in my banking and I got caught and I ended up having to pay an overdraft fee. And I'm like, because I had a long story, but I take it out. It's like, ah, all right, I'll deal with that. Because it was my, my mistake, right? I made a mistake. It's just the way it is. Just, okay, so on we go. But when we do right and we suffer, we hate it. We all hate it. But I didn't do any. Yeah, but, you know, I did what was right and I still had to. Matthew 6 24 through 27 then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone wants to be my follower you must give up your own ways take up your cross and follow me if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake you will save it and do and what do you do to benefit what uh, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul for the son of man will come with his angels in glory and the Father will judge all people according to their deeds. We all face a cross 
that we have to pick up. And it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a short time or a long time, there's going to be a cross somewhere in your Christianity that you're going to have to face. But strength comes from surrender. From verse 38, where my soul is crushed to the point of death, to verse 45, go ahead, sleep on, rest. Look, your time has come. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into hands of sin. It's like, what a difference. Because he surrendered. He surrendered to the will of God. What a remarkable difference. First John 2.17, this world is passing away, fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's the promise. Jamie Atten, he's a Christian. He's a psychologist and a researcher, works for university. He was diagnosed at 35 years old with stage 4 prost- uh, colon cancer. And it had spread to his pelvis. For the first six months, I asked for the prognosis. My oncologist would say, I can't tell you that it's going to be okay, Jamie. It's too early to tell. If there's anything you want to see or want to know, now is the time. Cancer wasn't my first, uh, cancer wasn't the first disaster I faced. My family had moved to South Mississippi six days before Hurricane Katrina disaster. But this disaster was different. There was no opportunity to evacuate as I did before Katrina made landfall. This disaster was striking within. That was a walking disaster. Aiton learned at a key moment at a tra- uh, traumatic situation involved what he called spiritual surrender. Spiritual surrender helps us to understand when we have control over uh, what we have control over and what we don't. In a research study I led after Katrina, we found that people who showed a higher level of spiritual surrender tended to do better. This finding didn't make sense to me at the time. It seemed like a passive faith response. Fast forward to my cancer disaster. I vividly remember taking the trash to the curb one winter morning while praying that God would heal me. And in the freezing air, like tiny razor blades cutting across my hands and feet, the nerves sensitivity caused by the chemotherapy. Wondering if God even heard my prayers for healing, I kept praying as I walked back inside and suddenly I dropped to my knees and prayed my most challenging prayer of my life. Instead of continuing to pray for God's healing, I asked God that he would take care of my wife and children if I didn't make it. That was the hardest prayer I've ever prayed. For the first time in my life, I experienced true spiritual surrender. I finally understood true spiritual surrender is more from a more than uh, from passive, it is a willful act of obedience. And for the record, he's still teaching in universities. 
I looked him up. He's got his own website. When you surrender, that's where the strength. Hebrews 12, verse 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the glory of God. Think about that. He got through the cross. And what was waiting on the other side? Glory. Some say that glory, of course, is his position, but that was his position anyway. Others say, we're his glory. Those that he would redeem. A surrendered will. If Jesus had to face it, you and I will have to face it. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. One moment of surrender is when you admit that you're a sinner and that you can't do it on your own. There's no way you can earn heaven. There's no way you can be good enough to get to heaven. There's no way you can ever, ever accomplish on your own. Forgiveness. Righteousness. And if you think, well, I behave a certain way, God wants your will. Maybe you can check some boxes. You did this, you did that, you can behave, you can, you know what to do. You can, God wants your will. It's when you surrender to Him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not right with you, and I need to get right. I'm going to give my will, my life to you. Use it as you may. If you've never done that, you did it and you took it back and you want to come back to Jesus, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly. Say, yeah, that's me. I'm not surrendered. I'm not right with God. I need to get my heart right. Anyone at all, very quickly, pray for me. Changing the call then to Christians. Somewhere in your Christianity, somewhere in your life, I don't know when it will be. There will be numbers, sometimes there's numbers of these, but there'll be a time where your will and God's will are going to totally be opposed. 180 degrees apart. You can be like that little two-year-old girl. She's going to hit her mother and do what she wants. No understanding. You know what? You can wander around the mall. But there's a lot of dangerous things out there that she doesn't see. She might just sees the doll in the store or whatever she was after. The glittery object at the moment. What she wanted. God wants us to surrender His will. Surrender to His will. And when that comes, you got to pray. you got to be willing and God to change you because that struggles inside it's going to be there it's going to happen time to time and we're just going to have to fight it pray about it work it through that uh, finally the result has to be that you convince God that your will is right because you'll never do that 
like a two-year-old can't convince their mother that they know best about everything. But that we then turn and can surrender to God's will actively and let God help us. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to sing that song, Take Me Past.